That was really the space that kind of gave me the confidence of wanting to be a baker and um, which is necessary to have mentors that like look like you in a way of like, oh, the, these are just like two women that are telling me that I can be like a real, excuse my language, a real badass lady baker. The thing you need to ask yourself is what responsibility will I take on in my community as someone who might have a platform in whatever sense. Again, it could be 25 people in your community or a thousand. This is the Sourdough Podcast, the show about the innovators, leaders, and creative trailblazers in our sourdough community and the stories behind the bread. On this season two finale of the Sourdough Podcast, baker Betsy Gonzalez joins me to talk about her sourdough journey and the bakers from around the world that shaped her vision for her own bakery, Osano Bread, which she opened in 2018. We talk about her decision to highlight and support her local grain economy through her business practices and some of the challenges she's faced baking during a pandemic. And Betsy leads an important discussion about race in the hospitality industry and how the cottage bakery can be most effective in the fight for racial equality. As we wrap up season two, I wanted to take this opportunity to thank all of my amazing guests this season, including all of the cottage bakers who were the focus of this season. Season two has been such a great journey for me and the inspiration I needed to launch my own cottage bakery earlier this year. I hope this season has been an inspiration for you too. Did you take a leap forward in your sourdough baking this year? Maybe you baked bread for a large family get together. Perhaps you doubled your bake and shared some bread with a neighbor for the first time. Did you turn your hobby into a business and start a cottage bakery? If you have been inspired to take your baking to the next level this season from the stories you've heard, I'd love to hear about it. Message me via Instagram or email me through the Sourdough Podcast website and tell me about how you grew in your sourdough skills this year. I'd love to share your stories. I also wanted to thank all my donors and contributors this season. You've helped make this podcast possible and I'm so grateful for your support. So thank you, Terry Jones, Teresa Coletto, Noel Deeb, Valerie Franzesi, Andrew De Palma, Daniel Cook, Jeffrey Kirkhoff, Maria Martin, Scott Martley, Caitlin Muir, Jim Challenger, Ann Mazur, Mark Gavigan, Edith Fastnidge, Aaron Nelson, Daniel Marley Cook, Rachel Brace, Marilyn Sarasqueta, Susan Zachos, Jill Hayes, Maurizio Leo, and Thomas Vroom. This season wouldn't have been possible without you. And of course, a huge shout out and thank you to my brother-in-law, Weston Perry, for his support this season in creating and sharing all the music you hear on the podcast. Weston released his first EP online this year, so go support him by listening or purchasing his work wherever you download music. And now, without further ado, here's my season two finale guest, Betsy Gonzalez. My guest today is baker Betsy Gonzalez, owner of the award-winning bakery Osano Bread in Atlanta, Georgia. Betsy is a community-supported baker who founded Osano Bread in 2018 
After traveling through Europe and working in several bakeries and being inspired by their old world approach to bread, Betsy has made it her mission to connect her community to their local grain economy through her practice of making naturally leavened breads. She is an inspiration to myself and, and many others in our small but growing cottage baker community. Uh, Betsy, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I've really been looking forward to speaking with you. Thank you for having me. Well, you know, I've got so much I want to speak about, but um, first off, you know, congratulations on the success of your bakery. Oh, thank you. I, yeah, no, I think we first, uh, I first reached out to you after your write-up in Eater back in mm -hmm. January. It yeah. feels like an eternity ago. Right, several uh, years ago. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you had also had recently won gold in the Tiptree World Bread Awards yes. uh, for your country sour. That was quite an accomplishment. Thank you. Um, I'm just curious, how long has owning a bakery been a dream of yours? I guess for quite a while. So growing up, I had always had a love and admiration for eating um, bread and pastry. Um, the food just played a huge role in my life and my formative mm. years. Um, my mother is uh, from Guatemala. And so um, I'm actually a first generation American. Yeah. And she was a single mother and worked um, a lot to support myself and my sister. And so mm. um, with that, food was kind of that one thing that we could, you know, come together after she was pretty much gone away from home mm -hmm. most of the day. Um, or even when she had to work most of the day and we, my sister and myself had to, you know, do our homework or just, you know, do her thing uh, to get ready for like the next day of going to school. She always made it a point to make food for us for like mm. the next morning. Uh, I, I would wake up um, in the morning to go to school and find that she had made my sister and I breakfast mm. um, and like had it like ready, like in the microwave for us to like heat up again, or she would have something like in a crock pot ready for us to have um, after school. Mm -hmm. Um, and so food had always been such a kind of just like a unique thing to have like a sense of unity. Um, and so that kind of like propelled my love for food in general, but also like bread itself, uh, growing up, my mom and I would go to a local panderia, a, a bakery mm -hmm. in our neighborhood. And we would just, it was always like a nice little weekly treat to go get some like conchas or just whatever, you know, pastry that mm -hmm. just looked really pretty to my eyes. Um, yeah. And the, the and, smells. Oh, yeah. All the smells from the Panagerias. Sweet, oh, sweet, yeah. sugary smells. Mm -hmm. um, so having like that and then also like around the holidays with um, uh, Rosca de Reyes, which are like king cakes okay. um, around Christmas. Uh, that was also a really fun uh, moment um, during the holiday season to like come together with like family and friends. Um, and uh, literally and figuratively, like break bread. Yeah. So, so bread is always kind of, or food and, and bread mm -hmm. have always been kind of just built in. It sounds like to your kind of love language between yeah. you and your family, and mm -hmm, particularly mm -hmm. your mother. That's that's amazing. Yeah. yeah. Was she a baker at all, or anybody in your family? No, no, not exactly. Um, she wasn't really like a an excellent cook. I would say. <laughs> I, I feel like she probably won't shame me for saying that. Um. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, no, no one was really like the, the cook or the baker. I actually just recently found out from my mother that 
um, her uncle was actually a baker and is still a baker, wow. which is really cool. Yeah. Um, but other than that, there weren't really many like food, mm, like mentors, like in yeah. my family. Yeah. yeah. So where do you, wh when did you pick that up and where do you think that all kind of original, well, you've talked about where that originated, mm -hmm. but what, where did the kind of the idea of like, I want to pursue bread or food, mm -hmm. um, uh, start you know at what age do you think oh uh really early so my mom has always been like very supportive of anything that I wanted to do so being a first generation American um I find that um our immigrant parents have always just whatever they do in their lives it's always intend intended to support like their children to have like a life that they never really had in their home countries. Mm -hmm. Um, and so it's like those ideals of like the quote, like American dream, um, and whatnot. And so she was very supportive of whatever creative endeavors I wanted to dive into. Like there was a moment where it was music. And so like, she got me guitar lessons and like, she wanted me to get in piano, um, and whatnot. But then I kind of found that the creative outlet that I really enjoyed the most um, was actually like baking. Mm. And so she like would go to like the store with me and buy all like the butter and flour and sugar that I wanted and like would take me to like Michael's like growing up to go buy like baking pans. I think I still have the same baking pans that she bought me when I was like 12 years old. <laughs> um, so just like her encouragement to like kind of like let me do whatever I wanted and whatever mm -hmm. I wanted to pursue just kind of allowed me to like propel a little bit like deeper um into that craft and I just like had a lot of joy in being able to like make something that made other people happy because I personally like I love being able to like serve others I have like I guess maybe like a giving personality yeah. you, would, you could say um so I think just like her support for that allowed me to like go a little bit deeper into baking at home. Um, so completely like self-taught in that okay. realm. And like, I knew from that point um, that I wanted to go to culinary school. Um, but because of the status of like my family's like financial situation, it just wasn't mm -hmm. feasible. Mm -hmm. Culinary school is incredibly expensive. Um, and so the route that I had to take was more of something that's traditional. So I went to Georgia State University after I had gra uh, graduated from high school um, in 2014. Um, I went in and declared my major as journalism. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> I don't know why. Naturally. Uh, <laughs> naturally. Wanting to be like, a baker. Oh, creative writing. Sure. Let's let's do that. Um, I remember actually one of my first pieces being about like, uh, about a about a bakery and like writing this sort of like long romantic narrative um, ab about that and, uh -huh. like the sights and smell of it. Um, that should have been my first sign to to drop out of college. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I, I went to Georgia State um, for about a year and a half, and then found myself to be like really uninspired mm -hmm. um, by it. But there's also like that other pressure of being like this first gen American of like, yeah. Ooh, I have to like, I have to get this. I have to get this degree. I have to like show that all the sacrifices and the hardships that yeah. my mother went through were worth it. Um, and so 
that was a little like painful like moment like in my life to mm. kind of admit to my mom like hey this is kind of like not the path for me and mm-hmm. she like didn't really understand that at first um and so i left georgia state and at this time i had um moved to a- atlanta to attend the school like i grew up in north georgia okay um and since I was living in Atlanta, I got a job um, over there in various like food and beverage positions. Um, one time I worked at a pizzeria, I worked at a juice bar, mm-hmm. uh, you know, here and there, just different things. And then I landed a position at uh, the Little Tart Bake Shop um, in 2015. And so I actually joined as a front of house position um, but I knew in my heart that I really, really wanted to be a baker. Yeah. I did not have the just the experience on paper in order to join as a baker. Mm-hmm. Um, I definitely had the, I would say, the the great love, you know, for the craft itself. Um, mm-hmm. But that's kind of hard to kind of translate to someone who has never met you before um, and would just be taking a a chance on you entirely. Seems like it's like the uh, perpetual college, high school, like age, you know, how do I get a job if I don't have any experience? Exactly. Experience to get a job, Mm -hmm, yeah, mm -hmm. conundrum. Yeah, so uh, I worked in front of house for a little bit and then um, I was able to finagle my way into back of house, um, which was really great. And so I did pastry when I was there, uh, wow. little tart is like a, as Sarah O'Brien, the, the owner of the bakery, she puts it as like a, like Southern or a French inspired bakery with like Southern inflections. Um, so uh, there was an emphasis of like using local, um, ingredients from various uh, purveyors and farmers. Okay. Um, so you were getting a sound, sounds like you were getting a little bit of an education there. Like yeah, in yeah. The field, so to speak. Yeah. Most, most definitely. Like, I, I think Little Tart uh, definitely opened my eyes to the idea of sourcing locally um, mm. and sustainably. Mm-hmm. Um, but also I could make uh, some pretty good gougieres and some mean ass meringues. So uh-huh. um, <laughs> had great time there. Um doing pastry but after a while I did feel a little unchallenged um there wasn't really much upward mobility Mm. for myself um at the company and so I decided that you know there there has to be something else that you know could fuel like my drive and passion for for baking and that's kind of when I stumbled into bread yeah so um in 2017 that's kind of where my whole like bread journey really begins. Um, so just like most bakers in this time and era, uh, the internet is a great source uh-huh. for learning how to bake bread um, at home. And so I like found Facebook groups, like the, perf- what is it called? I found perf- Facebook groups called the Perfect Sourdough. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, and there's various ones uh, that exist out there. Join perfect, the- perfect Loaf? Is that Oh, that's Mauricio's blog. Perfect loaf, or there's the oh, what's the? It's just kind of like a general baking uh, website. Um, oh, the Fresh Loaf. Fresh Loaf, yes, yes, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I, I use a platform like that as as well to you know gain some like insight on uh, how to bake bread. And so, like 
when I was working at Little Tart, it had like some experience working with like various doughs, like focaccia and crisanto. So I kind of like knew what to like look and feel for and kind of utilize my senses, um, you know, as a baker, as I approach sourdough baking. Um, but yeah, it, it was in 2017 where I, I found myself starting to bake bread. And mm-hmm. I feel like most cottage bakers, uh, I was baking too much bread <laughs> that I could uh, consume. Uh-huh. Um, and so I wanted to learn more. And the unfortunate thing at, at that time um, here in Atlanta that that occurred was there was not really much of a bread culture Yeah. Um, in 2017. And so there wasn't really a bakery for me to go like gain a, or, you know, there wasn't a bakery for me to go join mm-hmm. like a bread bakery um, explicitly. There wasn't anyone that was baking like explicitly sourdough bread, bread that's made with like local flour yeah. and grain and whatnot. Um, yeah. I'd, so, I'd say that's still the case where, where I oh, live yeah. in Central Valley, oh, yeah, California. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I realized like, okay, well, I can't really stay here if I'm not able to, you know, do the things that I really want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I actually had gone up to Asheville to go take a class with Sarah Owens. Awesome. Who's okay. doing a, a collaboration with Old World Levon. Um up in Asheville and they were doing like a sourdough uh, bread and pastry course. Um, and it was so great to meet other like home bakers yeah. who are really interested in the craft itself. Um, and that kind of like really fueled my idea of like, okay, there's other people out here that like really love sourdough baking. Mm-hmm. And I can tell that their communities are really interested in what they're doing as well. Um, and I'm not able to find like, this sort of community here in Atlanta, where can I find that community? Yeah. And that's when I started tinkering with the idea of going overseas <laughs> <laughs> uh, because Europe has such a huge yeah. community of um, bakeries. I mean, almost every neighborhood has a, a bread bakery or something of that iteration. If I were to put myself in your place at that time, I'd be mm-hmm. like, Asheville is much closer, you know, to Atlanta than Europe. True, true. You know, what was yeah, it about? Yeah. What 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 planted that seed that I'm going to take this epic, you know, mm-hmm. season of my life to go and travel and and learn and what made that like a a realistic option in your mind? I I think at that time too, I wasn't finding many bakeries like here in the South that yeah. were doing what I had, you know, hoped to seek and learn, mm-hmm. um, which was baking sourdough bread and working with like local uh, mm-hmm. grain and flour. And I mean, I was, let's say 2017. I think I was maybe 2021 20, yeah. um, at that time, pretty young, probably didn't do a lot of research on like what bread, what bread bakeries existed, you know, maybe some more accessible like North Carolina and uh-huh. whatnot. But it sounds like uh, you had you had a knowledge that there was this wisdom out there, and, yeah, you know, old and, and world lot, wisdom, mm-hmm. and a lot of that had to do with Instagram. Okay, um, I okay. was I was on Instagram, um, like had a personal account, but then in 2017, I decided to make a kind of like a well, I guess a baking a account. bread account, you know, a bread account, it's a, it's a big step. <laughs> um, yeah, and you know, originally it was just going to post like various pastry things that I had done, 
and so forth. But then, you know, I got bit by the sourdough bug. Mm -hmm. uh, and I found that there was a community of sourdough bakers like yeah. out here on the okay. internet. Um, and it was, it was really small at that mm -hmm. time. Um, it's not as expansive as it is now. But uh, I actually stumbled upon this one baker. Her name is Jen. Uh, she goes by the Nomad Baker on okay. Instagram. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know her. And um, I saw that she was actually traveling to go be an intern or stagiaire uh, with various bakers. And so I saw that, like, oh, wow, this is maybe something that is attainable. And she's mm. able to do this overseas. And I'm someone that, you know, likes to travel. Yeah. And so I thought, okay. Let's uh, let's let's see how she did it. And so I, I connected with Jen and asked, like, you know, every question under the sun of like, how did you like get this opportunity to go bake with all these like wonderful, you know, bakers? Mm -hmm. um, and she told me, I just asked, yeah, uh, yeah. which is actually the same like advice that I'd give to people now who mm -hmm. who asked me, uh, like, how did you you know do this? Uh, I just asked. And yeah. so, well, and I think that's just part of this beautiful, small, close knit community that we have that, you know, mm -hmm. like, and I, and I always like, feel like we've, I've kind of gone back and forth with this like chef versus baker mentality or like chef world mm -hmm. versus baker world. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, but I feel like our, our, our world of bakery bakers and, and cottage bakers, we're just, there's just like a. So it's just like generous outflow of, of generosity and like willingness yeah. to answer questions yeah. and invite people over. And exactly. Uh, and, and so, yeah, I can I can see how that mm -hmm. happened because, mm -hmm. I mean, that's how this podcast happens is just by right. by asking, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think uh, sometimes when you have some experience under your belt, maybe years go by and you, you know, find yourself to have success, you kind of forget where you started from. Mm. And so. Um, it's people like Jen, you know, that, and people who allowed her to, you know, be a stagiaire in their space that, you know, remembered, oh, I was like in that same mm -hmm. position of like mm -hmm. being a beginner and like, I wanted to learn and I want to be able to like pass that experience on to someone else to have like a new generation of bakers. Yeah. So, um, that's knowing that Jen was able to do that successfully, um, then just encouraged me to find a way to do that on my own. Um, and so I had just found a couple different sourdough bakers that were working with, you know, just natural leavening and working um, with local grain um, and were very, had just <laughs> emphasized like their community. Um, what countries did you visit? So I went to Ireland, Spain, I went to the UK, Germany, France, Norway, and Belgium. Wow. Um, so I started planning for all of this um, in late 2017. Um, I wasn't really, t I didn't really tell anyone that I was going <laughs> to just like drop everything and go. Um, I remember telling my, my partner, uh, who's my fiance uh, now, uh, ab about this idea. I'm like, Oh, what if I just kind of like left for like maybe a month or something and just like <laughs> went overseas. And he was like, I don't think you're ever going to come back. <laughs> uh, and I was like, yeah, maybe not. Um, but he was super encouraging. And my mom was too. And she was like, of, you know, of course, if this is something that you, yeah. you want to do, um, then I'll support you like wholeheartedly. Um, and so 
I had originally planned to only go overseas for a month, <laughs> uh, but I ended up staying from January to the end of April um, wow. overseas. Oh, yeah, amazing. it was fantastic. Uh, mm-hmm. So I started off by going to Riot Rye, um, which is owned by Joe in Cloud Jordan, Ireland. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually took a, a sourdough class with him. Um, and then after that, I went to Bread by Bike in London. And that was like my mm-hmm. first real interning experience. Um, I spent a week with Andy and his team of two other bakers, two two female bakers, which is really cool. Yeah. Um, and they just threw me straight in the mix. Like uh. literally, as like literally. Uh, <laughs> so they got me, you know, mixing and shaping and baking alongside with them and Mind you, I had only baked bread like out of my home kitchen, like did not work with like a spiral mixer or like a deck oven at all. Like, you know, I I read about these things, Mm -hmm. um, but just to have the opportunity by Andy and his team to just like really immerse me in there like Mm -hmm. so quickly was amazing. Um, So I spent one week with them and then I went to uh, Yellow Bakery, which is in Barcelona. Uh, to intern under spa, uh, excuse me, to intern under Paul Stokovich. Mm-hmm. Um, and Paul is actually a chef turned baker from Australia. Um, okay. and just, just like many of us got bit by that sourdough bug and just felt <laughs> like utterly in love with it and decided to open up a cafe with his partner, Layla, um, over in Barcelona and so I spent actually the majority of my time with them. Mm. And it, it's funny, I went from going like full force with uh, Andy and his team at Bread by Bike, mixing, shaping, and baking to kind of uh, being thrown back to like the bottom <laughs> of yeah. the pole. Uh-huh. Uh, and Paul being like, yeah, no, you're not doing any of that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, no, you're gonna, you're gonna like work your way up, just uh-huh. like the rest of us, and rightfully so. I mean, I remember being a little irked by by it. I'm like, why, why isn't he letting me uh-huh. <laughs> uh, help him like score and like bake the loaves? Um, why, why am I only cleaning dishes right now? But it was, it was great. Uh, so I would do some of those intern um, little duties, cleaning. Yeah. Um, reorganizing, measing flour, and whatnot. Were, were the were the gears in your head already going and spinning towards like I'm going to go home and I'm going to start a bakery? Like I'm going to start my own bakery? Not really. And so, like the question I got a lot from the people that I was interning with was, "What are you going to do after all of this?" Yeah. And my honest answer was, "I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea. I'm just like here to like." be fully immersed in like a real kitchen yeah. because I find that in the like formal education realm of going to culinary school, you're not getting that real life mm. action. You know, you're mm. not really able to get that like grit and hustle, you know, that little pep in your step um, in a culinary like education system. So I-, I was just there to really learn as much as possible I never really thought about like, oh, it's time for me or like, I'm going to open up a bakery when I come back home. Um, So I spent some time with Paul and, you know, worked my way up to shaping loaves with him and whatnot. And like by the end of it, I was there from like, like 
end of January to I think early March. Um, and yeah, by the end of it, we just had like a whole like flow and rhythm to it and it was great. And we were like, Oh no, wait, now I have to go (laughs) now. Um, so after that, I, I went to, um, what did I go to? I have notes here. Off to another Um, country. I went off to (laughs) another country. Um, so I went to, I went to Porto, Portugal to go relax because it had been, it had been pretty intense working from Mm -hmm, January to March. Um, a lot for free, by the way, um, Mm -hmm. was not gaining any money doing this. Um, and so went to Porto briefly, just have a little holiday. And then I was invited by Paul of Mock Mill, uh, Wolfgang Mock Mill. Um, if you aren't familiar, Mm -hmm. they make home, uh, stone mills. Mm -hmm. And so they invited me over to their headquarters over in Germany and Very I had cool. full access to their bakery and their mills. And uh, it was just such an informative experience to just only bake with freshly milled flour. Like that was the only thing we had access to, um, which was just fresh local grain um, and throw that straight into a mill. Yeah, it's um, it changes the whole equation. Like for me, absolutely, remember, like yeah. it just like revolutionized my bread. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and my experience with fresh, freshly milled grain was like barely anything, really. The people that I had worked with um, at Riot Rye and Bread by Bike and Yellow Bakery, they were working with local grain that was regional to them and whatnot, but wasn't explicitly freshly milled. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was where I got like my first taste of that. Yeah. And then I went to uh, Paris to go see a friend, but also talk with um, Maxime Bousset of, I'm going to butcher this pronunciation. <laughs> I don't know French. Um, Neither do I. <laughs> Le Bouchon, Le I believe, over in Paris. Okay. And um, I got to talk with him. The thing that interested me about like his bakery was he was ambient, ambient only. Wow. So no okay. refrigeration whatsoever. His space was super tiny. One that mm. is similar to a cottage bakery. Mm-hmm. Um, he was hand mixing everything. Um, and he was only working with local heritage grains that were grown just a few kilometers away wow. outside of the city. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was only open like a few days, like out of the week. Um, so I just got to talk to him about his experience of working with local grain, which is really great. Um, and I was like, can I like actually like intern with you for a little bit? And he was like, uh, you know, you probably won't gain anything being here for like a week. So <laughs> uh-huh. go on, go on your merry way. And I was like, fair. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so like at this time I was, I hadn't really figured out what I was going to do. Um, I, I only had purchased a one way ticket to mm. Europe. So there was no like end date, um, yeah. for me. Um, and so I was, really lucky to be able to get in contact with um, Martin at Illibrod um, okay. in Oslo, Norway. Wow. And he had invited me to uh, go intern with him. And so uh, Illibrod, uh, Martin of Illibrod actually wrote a book called Sourdough um, a couple years back. And mm-hmm. they actually, he actually started like on a cottage bakery level and then had a book and then actually has like a full fledged bakery. Um, and so at that time it was him, um, Theodore, his head baker and Anka. 
Um, a lot of these bakeries that I worked at, it was either literally just the owner um, yeah. or maybe one or two other bodies in the room. So small um, bakeries. Inclu- mm-hmm. Including me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So like it was very, very tiny operations. Um, and so what I really loved about being at Illy Broad was, again, this emphasis of ancient grains mm. and local flour. And I love this philosophy that he had of let the flower shine. Mm. Um, and just like the this idea of investing in local grain um, for taste and sustainability and biodiversity and so forth. So like a lot of these bakers had started to influence my mind about what I had aspired to bake essentially. Um, and so spent a little bit of time with them, um, from like winter to spring, that nice little like transition during that month of March. Um, and then went over to Bokrijk, Belgium, which is east of Brussels, if I remember correctly. Okay. Um, and it's in Flanders. Um, and so I went to go work with, um, it was called De Superet at the time, um, but it's now called Ectbrod, E-G-T-B-R-O-O-D, um, with uh, Tina Bolin, who owns the bakery with their partner. And so what was really cool about that place was it was owned and led by a woman. Hmm. Um, and the only other person was a woman as well. Uh, her name is Soraya. And... Also, it was in an 18th century barn that was wow. renovated into a bakery. And Bookreich is actually this really beautiful nature reserve and open air museum. Um, and so you had like all these historical buildings around and actors playing out the life of like rural Flanders, which is really cool. Wow. Um, and that was really the space that kind of just kind of gave me the confidence of mm wanting to be a baker and someone Tina and Sarai had, you know, had both just given me like great advice and words of encouragement, um, which is necessary to have uh, mentors that like look like you in a way of Mm. like, Oh, these are like two women Mm -hmm. that like are telling me that I can be like a real, excuse my language a real badass lady baker. Yeah. Um, And so I spent um, like March to the end of April, uh, or excuse me, April, the end of the month, um, to work with them. Just like it was 12, 16 hour days, wow. like uh-huh. almost, almost every day. And that was like my experience from January to the end of, of April. I was working almost every single day, like no weekends off, or I had weekends off, excuse me. Oh, they were, they were nice to me, I swear. Um, <laughs> Um, but like no pay, um, mm-hmm. but it was so worth it because I was able to learn like so much. And yeah. I really felt like a part of the team while I was there with Tina and Soraya um, and just like gain a, an immense wealth of, of confidence. And again, another bakery that was yeah. really um, had really emphasized the idea of like local grain and mm-hmm. their grain was grown and milled like a few kilometers away, which I thought was fantastic. Yeah. Um, it's it's so cool to see kind of like each each one of these places like adding to like what seems like it's gonna be <laughs> the future Osano Bakery. Yeah, like, yeah, it was like a little one. bit of this, a little bit of that, like in a nice little big cauldron of like what would be Osano yeah. bread mm-hmm. um, and whatnot. And so I eventually had to go back home. Of had course. to come home. Uh-huh. 
Uh, yeah, <laughs> I had to come home, did not have a visa of any sort. So I was like, I can't really sit here too long or get in trouble. Yeah. Um, so I went back home to the States and I actually had gone back to Little Tart just because it was convenient, really. Um, and wasn't really doing what I wanted to do because it was pastry and not bread. <laughs> um, but there was this opportunity to actually uh, lead a bread and pastry program um, over at a restaurant that was set to open outside of Atlanta. Um, And I took that position because I thought like, oh, wow, this is like, this might be the direction that I'm hoping to go for. Um, Maybe this is like that next step um, in my career. So I took that position and long story short, lots of broken promises. Mm. Um, It ended up not working out like at Mm -hmm. all. And so it was a very, very sad moment because I had been very, very excited Mm. um, to like have this opportunity to have a space of my own in a sense um, to like bake the bread that I wanted to bake because this group of people, you know, had promised me like these things of like, you're going to like all your dreams and aspirations are going to happen like in this space. And we're here to Mm. like support you. Mm. Um, And they ended up like not happening at all, which was very depressing. Um, And so definitely got a kick to my ego for sure. Um, Mm. And so I was like, okay, time to center myself again and kind of figure out like, yeah, what, what am I going to do now? Um, and so after that, I actually took a job at a wholesale bakery, uh, called proof bake shop here in Atlanta. Okay. Um, I feel like there's so, a, there's a handful of proof bakeries there are. around the yeah. country. Yeah. Very, very creative. <laughs> um, so I, yeah, I took a job there and it was kind of like, the complete opposite of what I had just experienced overseas. Hmm. I was working overnight shifts. So working those graveyard shifts, um, which was not what I had experienced um, over in Europe. Uh, Everyone there had emphasized like this idea of like, if you don't have the ability to like sustain yourself, like how are you able to feed others? Like how are you able to have like a healthy life Mm -hmm. at all? If like you're not getting any sleep and you're like, yeah, if you're just like deprived of life and whatnot, like how can you like bake bread um, Mm -hmm. and do those things? And so this place was the opposite of that, which is, Mm. you know, not, not harmful. And like, that's not like their intention, like at all. It was just, it just, we just worked in regards to yeah. schedules and, and whatnot uh, to have the bread baker come in like at the end of the night. And so I worked there for a few months. Um, it's a hard with, lifestyle. A hard, it's hard a super, work. super hard lifestyle. My, my life was flipped literally upside down um, doing that. And so I had worked there for a little bit. And that's kind of when the idea of like, oh, I just kind of want to do my own thing. Mm. And Paul of Yellow Bakery, I remember one of our last conversations that we had together was him telling me like, oh, pff, you're not going to be able to work for, with for anyone like after this, like it's going <laughs> to be Im- impossible for you. And of course I was like, what is that supposed to mean? Um, but it started it, making sense. <laughs> it, it started to make sense. Like at that point I was like, okay, like, I wouldn't be happy if I was working for someone else for someone Mm. else's own personal gain. And so I started to take that into consideration. Um, 
And that's kind of when I started to tinker around the idea of like, maybe I'll just kind of bake some bread like at home for like other people and see what, see if they're interested in that um, at all. So that was in 2018. Yeah. Yeah. So that was, that was by the fall of 2018 um, that the idea of begging for others started to come into play, but it was never the idea of like, I'm going to start a business, if that makes sense. It was just okay. like, I love, I love to bake. Yeah. I want to bake for other people. Um, I am not seeking out any sort of monetary gain. I mean, yeah. if you go into brand baking to gain money, it's not the field for you, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> uh-huh. um, but I just really just found so much sense of pride and joy yeah. in being able to feed others. Um, so that's kind of when I started to focus my attention more into that mm-hmm. and so i found myself you know baking for family and friends and whatnot and they were really nice and you know sent sent me some money my way which was really kind um and at like at that time i was also looking at what was regionally available mm-hmm. in my area yeah and so i found that we had a wheat grower here in georgia um day spring farms outside of athens and then I saw that there was Carolina Ground up okay. in Asheville. And there was Lindley Mills over in Graham, North Carolina. And a few other ones like Farm and Sparrow and Anson Mills. Um, and I saw that, that they were here um, within like the Southeast region. I thought, okay, maybe uh, all these influences that I had overseas could potentially happen here in Atlanta in the South. Yeah. Well, that's, uh, I mean, that's like an amazing resource and an amazing, I think a really cool approach, you know, cause I'm, I'm over here, you know, 37 going on 38, you know, I just mm-hmm. started a cottage bakery uh, this year and mm-hmm. I'm sitting here like, all right, this, this Betsy did not just uh, up and, you know, go to Europe and come back and like, I'm going to start this, you know, bakery yeah, and yeah. It's, it's an evolution. It sounds like, and you're, you know, you're, you're piecing together kind of mm-hmm. these experiences and these visions mm-hmm. and, and failures and successes yes. along the way. And, but I thought, I think it's so cool that part of that um, process is like, well, what's local, what's being grown. Cause I, I kind of find mm-hmm. myself in the opposite situation where I've, mm-hmm. I've kind of come to this, I'm going to start a cottage bakery um, decision um, so, somewhat similar to yours, but now I find myself, I'm like, well, there's just, there's no local flour. There's hardly any grain to, to be had unless mm-hmm, I drive mm-hmm. hours and, and it's hard to get, you know, flour, um, mm-hmm. that's not shipped from, you know, thousands of miles away. So I just think it's a, such a cool approach that you had that you're like, wow, what, what's available? What can I do with what's mm-hmm. already in the area? Yeah. And so I like, put the, put that, I put myself in that box. Um, and like ever since I've been working within that, um, like currently everything that I work with is either organic or it's regionally grown um, or locally milled. Um, which is not, not always possible. For which is not always possible for, for every baker. And that's, and that's totally fine. There, there's no shame in having to use like commodity flour. There, there's no shame in that. Um, but I found like that I wanted to be somewhat sustainable in a way. Mm-hmm. And I, and I wanted to be intentional with who I work with and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I want to like support 
the people that are within my like local community, what in my regional community, because it all kind of cycles back to one of us. So you have your, uh, your grain grower, you know, they're growing the grains, which are then sent to the miller who then, you know, provides that flour to bakers who then in turn get to feed everyone else in that nice little circle. Just a quick message before we get back to the episode. Don't forget to check out the Sourdough Podcast website shop where you can find the Sourdough Podcast t-shirt and the one-of-a-kind Sourdough Podcast UFO Lom handcrafted by Tyler at the Wire Monkey Shop. This season of the podcast, each of my guests will be receiving one of these beautiful walnut loms emblazoned with the Sourdough Podcast logo. And now you too can score with style and help support the podcast at the same time. So be sure to head on over to the sourdoughpodcast.com to shop, find other baking resources like books, recipes, and links to useful products. And of course, don't forget to check out the last two seasons of episodes featuring people from all around our sourdough community. And one last plug, Tyler at the Wire Monkey Shop has started a fund to help support bakers in need. Money donated will go to bread bakers who are in financial duress due to the coronavirus using Instagram as an outreach platform. With your generous support through your UFO lawn purchases, the Sourdough Podcast was able to contribute $240 to this fund. So please consider helping out if you can. You can find more information at Tyler's Instagram account, WireMonkeyShop. Don't forget to stick around after the episode for more music from Weston Perry. You can find more of his music and videos on his Instagram account, at Weston Perry Music, or for purchase wherever you download music. You know, one of my listener questions from Hazley.xo. She wanted to know, you know, where did Osono even come from? The name Osono come from? Yeah. Um, so at this time, um, again, didn't really have the intention of starting a business, but as things sort of unfolded, of like, okay, I'm, you know, people are uh, messaging me on Instagram because this is how I had like offered to, okay. you know, bread to, yeah. to the to the community. I was like, hey, selling bread for like six bucks you want a loaf message me um and so with that i was like okay well i guess i need to have some sort of an identity right <laughs> um and so the name of seno comes from the um miyazaki film called kiki's delivery service uh, which is a studio ghibli movie it's an okay. animated movie and All it was right. actually my favorite movie growing up um so general plot we have a young witch by the name of kiki who has to go to a a faraway land to gain new experiences to garner her skills uh, and kind of see where this might be tying into Uh in regards to my own personal experience um and so yeah she's a witch and she has to go to this you know faraway place to Mm. you know become the witch she was always destined to be (laughs) (laughs) um and she ends up working for this woman who owns a bakery and the name of the woman is Osono. Um, and Kiki actually, her job is to go deliver baked goods that are baked by Osono. And so when I started offering up, you know, all that extra bread that I was baking, um, I was delivering to people like all around the city. Like there was, there were no limitations on how far I would Mm -hmm. drive. Um, and so that name kind of like tied into the, the identity that it is now just like relating to the fact that like, Oh, I went away to a faraway Mm -hmm. land, uh, Europe. No, I (laughs) love the name skills. Um, 
and the fact that Kiki had to deliver bread or deliver, yeah, you know, pastry and, and baked goods. And so that was kind of how Osono really started. Yeah. Um, so, so that is the little brief story about, about that name. And I yeah. also just love that movie as well. Uh-huh. Well, that's such a cool, cool origin story. And I just love like that you just jumped into this like European experience and came mm-hmm. back and just pieced all these uh, experiences together and mm-hmm. and created something totally unique and, and like true to yourself and you know in the eater article I, you know maybe pulling it back towards your bakery and kind of like yeah. how you the operations and you know the actual mm-hmm. operation came to be and you know the this eater article um, I, I'll put a link to it in the the website or my website but it says you know like like many of us you started baking in your home oven and baking bread for family and friends one loaf at a time but now uh osono bread is a full-fledged baking operation with commercial bread oven mixers bench tables thousands of pounds of flour housed in less than a thousand square feet <laughs> so so yeah, i see that i vision <laughs> yeah that experience you you said you you worked with like somebody in europe that had a small space and mm-hmm. i'm just like man I, probably this closet i'm in is uh closer to 100 square feet i can't imagine like working how does that all work and like yeah give us paint us a picture maybe of your your daily your weekly operation yeah so um what is currently the bakery was formerly the dining room area of my house. Um, so like you walk in straight into my house to your right, you see the living room and like the hallway to the bedrooms and whatnot. But if you go immediately to the left, you'll see um, a spiral mixer, two bench tables, um, some flower bins underneath. And then you'll see my home fridge, um, which I had you know originally used to uh, put my dough in to ferment overnight, but now I have two uh, retarders that are explicitly for that. Okay. Um, so they were actually converted uh, freezers. So oh, converted wow. upright Great. freezers. Um, so I have those two um, together and I have my Rothko oven in between mm-hmm. those. And then I have a speed rack now. And then I have another collapsible shelf. Um, and this all fits in that, that space. And it's, it's like... Most of it is in the dining room area. Wow. Um, it's very tiny, but like my one of the fridges and uh, like a speed rack is over in the kitchen area, which is already very tiny in itself. It's like wall to wall full yeah. of like just stuff. <laughs> um, we just now ca- kind of call it the bakery. Yeah, yeah. Well, and it doesn't ever stay in one room. It always kind of uh, leads into (laughs) another room and another room, patio outside. Yeah. (laughs) In my case. Um, How much bread are you producing every week these days? So because of the pandemic we're currently in, things have shifted. Mm -hmm. Um, So in the spring of 2019, after I had established um, like a bread subscription called Bread Club, which is like um, a CSA, but for bread uh-huh. uh, or a CSB as it's commonly known as. Um, I was doing that delivering for people and whatnot. I had actually the opportunity to connect with some local business owners in my neighborhood to uh, create pickup spots as okay. well for the bread yeah. subscription, um, which is really fantastic. Um, but that spring of 2019, um, 
one of the farmers at the Grant Park Farmers Market uh, here in Atlanta had actually come over to me. He's like, "Hey, I heard that you're like you're doing this bread thing and whatnot, and I would love to collab with you." Um, his cool. name is uh, Brent Hall, um, and so we had connected together. And he had invited me over to his weekly farm stand um, where he, it's like a mini farmer's market, but it's just his, his produce okay. um, on one of his uh, plots here in Atlanta uh, in the Summerhill neighborhood. And so that was kind of like my first real like little spot, little bacon spot. Um, mm-hmm. And so with that um, and then the bread club subscriptions and then also there was another farm uh, actually here in my neighborhood called Aluma Farms. Um, I was baking, oh my goodness, at least like 50 loaves for free will, another 30 to 50 at Aluma. And then Bread Club subscriptions was like maybe another 30 or so. Okay, yeah. Um, so that was quite a amount. bit. Yeah, it was a good amount every week. Um, but now have, have, things have shifted in our post-pandemic yeah. world. Um, well, that, that was one of our questions. I mean, that was something I'm, I've yeah. been curious, you know, I, I've personally seen an in- increase. I, I've get, then again, I'm only been doing this for a couple of months officially, but, right. um, I know that's been, there's been a, a varying degree of experiences, I think among cottage bakers, like where mm-hmm. people have been like, I can't find flour. I can't find bread at the supermarkets. Yeah. And so all of a sudden they have a, a increase. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, that was a question from the family crumb. You know, she was like asking, "What is something that surprised you about the about baking in COVID times?" Yeah, so um, because of COVID times, things have definitely shifted in regards to production numbers. Mm. So at the beginning, um, initially here in the state of Georgia, uh, things weren't really like closing per se. Uh, we kind of lagged on doing anything, um, mm-hmm. and so. What Brent of Free Will and I did, we thought, okay, well, we're going to like take the initiative to kind of reformat our farm stand in a mm. way uh, to provide access to fresh local food because at that time, grocery store shelves were just poof, wow. mm-hmm. um, completely bare. And people had realized that there is actually a benefit to sourcing local produce and mm-hmm. buying from local growers and makers. Yeah. And so we both saw an increase um, in our sales. I definitely mm. saw like a, like a thirty percent increase in demand. Wow! Okay. Um, on my end, and so it, it like initially it was like a little bonkers. Uh, <laughs> I was like trying to keep up, and at that time I was also like running out of flour too, and like one yeah. of my millers had to close like temporarily, oh. and I was like, oh my god, I'm only baking with like. Uh, like lightly sifted roller mill flour. Where's my whole grain flour I wanted so bad? Uh, it's like, this is like the bread's different and whatnot, but it's like, do you even, will people even notice? And so there were like so many things that I was like battling with Yeah. Uh, at, at that time. Um, I think but, a lot of people have experienced that. It's like, yeah. What, and you know, weighing options, weighing like values, like how important <laughs> is organic bread? How important is unbleached? Yeah. Flour, yeah. Know, and making it, making it work. Exactly. And yeah, so I had to, I had to make it work because uh, I was also baking bread for this restaurant called Eight Arm here in Atlanta. And so it, it, it was quite a bit because they had changed their format to a CSA um, option to still support their, uh, their growers that, you know, were providing for the restaurant, but there's, you know, there's no dining service 
um, anymore. So mm-hmm. with them and then free will, it was a little chaotic um, at first, but found a sense of rhythm and was like very surprised by the positive feedback that we yeah, both great. receive um, that people are like super excited to support us. Mm-hmm. Are you still operating under any sort of like restriction by the state or? Um, not, not exactly. Not so by the state. <laughs> the state of Georgia, they don't care. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, it, you know, just, just look up our governor and the things he has said um, about the state of, of the economy and whatnot. Um, uh-huh. But over here, I, uh, yeah, there really aren't any restrictions. Any like restrictions. now, now my all my millers are you know back in full operation. Mm-hmm. There, there was never uh, a scarcity of flour. I, I, I hope people understand that. Like, oh, we ran out of flour. There's no flour anymore. It's like no, no, no. We, there's plenty of grain. There's so much grain um, for yeah. us. I, I think what people just weren't aware of is that there's actually access to all these local small mm-hmm. millers, mm-hmm. and so what was really uh, like positive about this pandemic experience is like tons of people were turning to mm-hmm. local yeah. um, millers, which is fantastic. Um, and so I was able to, you know, find my groove back in, into, into things. Um, Brent and I at, at Free Will, we were doing weekly farm stands where we had done social distancing um, and whatnot. We were both doing pre-orders mm-hmm. And um, there was a moment where we temporarily kind of halted production okay. um, on on our end out of out of the safety of our community, and also yeah. just kind of taking a moment to rest because what we're going through right now is a traumatic experience. Totally, like, this is very bizarre. I don't think any like I'm sure none of us have gone through a pandemic before, mm-hmm. um, and so there was a need for us to kind of mentally reset. Um, um, so it, didn't say, it sounded yeah. like these were all like personal decisions and, and personal health decisions and mm-hmm. uh, decisions you guys kind of made on your own, you know, aside from any kind of government, you know. Uh, yeah. Role. Yeah. I, I found that a lot of businesses like here in Atlanta kind of took the role of like, mm-hmm. or like took on that initiative. Like we are going to yeah. do our best as business leaders, like in our communities. And, you know, we we're going to play it safe. Yeah, um, for everyone. And so, yeah, everyone's been like very responsible and whatnot. And so we're both doing, uh, we, our intention, like, you know, before all this happened was in May to come back to doing our farm stands, um, mm-hmm. at their summer Hill location, Aluma, which was the other farm that I had partnered with. We were also going to come back in April and whatnot. Um, and then I had actually been accepted into a farmer's market as oh. well. And that was supposed to happen in early April too. Um, but, you know, those had to be paused temporarily, but now we're kind of back into like this weird hmm. kind of zombie version of what we do with pre-orders okay. um, and whatnot. Well, well I'm, I'm interested, you know, we've talked a little bit about this, but, um, mm-hmm. we, you know, we're ta- kind of talking about your community of bakers and your vendors and kind of the farmer's markets and the local community. Mm-hmm. Um and I think that's part of what I love and, and inspired so much about your operation 
is how you do and you source all your flowers and your grains uh, regionally and, and locally. Mm-hmm. And I'm just curious if you could maybe expand a little bit more on those relationships and yeah. and uh, your with your providers and, and why are they such an important part of your your mission at Osono? Yeah. Um. So it's kind of like keeping the dollar within our community in a sense. There's mm-hmm. a lot of empowerment um, mm. in that. Um, and it, it kind of, again, to what I had mentioned earlier of like, it's this cycle of grower, miller and baker and consumer yeah. and how all those dollars as they circulate, they go back to one another. Um, and so I found that that was really, really important. Um, that's something that I could take a stance on. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. I could, you know, adopt those values for myself personally and also as a business owner. Um, but also as a way to maybe like educate and inspire other people like, Hey, like you you can bake like with local regional grain, like there, we do have access to that. There is, there are benefits to um, baking with local grain. I mean, taste is the most important one, but also just like sustainability and like biodiversity and whatnot. And just trying to, take up that fight against like the like commodification like of our grain and of our industry and like taking back the opportunity to have a sense of autonomy Mm. from corporations. Mm -hmm. And so I I found that that was just really important for me just on a personal level, but also business wise to, to adopt that. And so one of the first people, Oh, sorry. I was going to say like, you know, Mm -hmm. I, I could see this beautiful kind of like, cycle of resources being shared and, and mm-hmm. values being shared. Mm-hmm. And I just love how someone like yourself was able to just jump into this economy that existed, already existed mm-hmm. with the, the local grow, growers and millers. Mm-hmm. And because that was already there, you were able to jump in and, and contribute to mm-hmm. that. Whereas in other places, you know, in the country, my, you know, where I live included, this someone who wants to start a cottage baker, you know, kind of has to go out on their own and, and kind of, you know, uh, it's a little bit more of an adventure. <laughs> oh, no, I, I, you know, I def- definitely you agree. You don't know how to connect all of those mm-hmm. dots. And sometimes yeah. you have to be responsible for like getting those off the ground. Mm-hmm. I just love yeah. that. At that time when I started a Sono, there wasn't anyone else that was baking exclusively with local grain. Mm-hmm. Um, like now there is, which is amazing. Um, but like at that time, there was no one else doing that. And um, I was really lucky that, you know, I did have some connections through, you know, previous jobs like Little Tart where mm-hmm. they did source um, some Carolina ground flour for some of their pastry dough and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And so it, it was just kind of ex- like a bit of an exposure um, through that to know that like, this stuff does exist. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'd done a little bit of research through like uh, Georgia Ground to find if we did have a wheat grower mm. um, and whatnot. And so that's how I found Dayspring Farms. Um, oh. And so they're a family-owned operation growing um, like corn, sweet potatoes and various things. But uh, grain is actually one thing that they're really trying to emphasize yeah. uh, with. And they're trying to encourage other farmers that like, Hey, like you, like we can do this. Mm-hmm. Um, like there is a need for it. Um, just like how we put so much emphasis on like that locally grown, like heirloom tomato, we can 
you know, yeah. we can be just excited um, about grain, like in that same way. Yeah, I love it. And mm-hmm. so I connected with him. And that was actually during that time when I was going to potentially be like the lead baker at that restaurant uh-huh. opportunity that I had. Um, so connected with uh, Nathan, who is the farmer at Spring. And was like, let me buy some grain. Um, and at that time, I had a little mock mill like attachment to my KitchenAid. And so I was baking with like the freshly milled grain, like using that to feed my starter. And then uh, knowing that Carolina Ground existed, I reached out to Jennifer Lapidus. Um, and she was like, again, I, this was at the time when I was supposed to be at that restaurant uh, mm-hmm. for this position. Mm. Um and she was like, I'm so excited to hear that there's like another bakery that like wants to, you know, support like their local growers and their and their yeah. millers. Like that's so exciting. And um, so like we connected like through that because um, she has like a huge love and, ad, you know, admiration, you know, for, for those things. She's uh, she's amazing. Um, and so with that, I also found out about Lindley Mills, um, mm-hmm. which does um, organic roller mill flour in Graham, North Carolina. And so I I'm connected. So, so jealous of all of these resources <laughs> you have access to. Yeah, and I, I mean, it was just kind of like doing a little bit of, of googling, starting to invest in these resources. Like there was no one there to hold my hand through this experience of opening up a bakery or like how to source ingredients yeah. and whatnot. Because no one in my family has been a business owner and whatnot. So I've been just kind of figuring it out like along the way. Um, so yeah, I connected with, with Caroline um, at Lindley Mills and she was super excited too, to hear that like another bakery is interested in, in local flour. Um, and so, yeah, I've been, I've been baking with their, with all their flour ever since, since. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. Well, again, like I said, I I am jealous of your community, your your local grain economy there, and uh, you know I've I'm trying to get something off the ground here and, and mm-hmm. encourage local farmers in my little farm community to, yeah. to think about the same thing about growing grain and yeah and taking pride in like a local grain, um, but um, well, switching gears a little bit, you know, I, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on, you know, we're talking about community and, and kind of how you came up in into your space and and what inspired you. Um, it sounds like, you know, you had a lot of um, empowerment through other female bakers and mm-hmm. bakery owners. I'm curious, you know, where does ethnicity and race play into your uh, your bakery and in and, and then mm-hmm. in how you um, approach your your philo- your baking philosophy. You know, I think there's been a lot of dialogue about yeah. that recently mm-hmm. um, with you know uh, George Floyd's uh, murder uh, in Minneapolis and and uh, I'm I'm you know I, a couple questions I have for you, but you know yeah. as a um, cons- you know speaking about your your community and your mission there in Atlanta. You know, as as a first generation Guatemalan American mm-hmm. um, living in the South, you know, do you do you yeah. <laughs> see yourself, at, you know, and your bakery as having kind of a larger role to play, other than you know making making amazing bread? Right. Um, so this kind of goes into the topic of re- representation mm. and how important 
that is. Um, the people that I was able to look up to were were women, um, but there weren't women of color that I was able mm. to look up to. And there weren't really people of color for me to look up to in, in general or, or, you know, black bakers at, at that time. Um, and so I find that it's really important that I, you know, make that opportunity for myself mm-hmm. um, because I want to, to inspire like a new generation of, of bakers or pastry chefs or pastry cooks. Like, Hey, like we can actually, we can actually do this. Like, we're going to fight for our seat at that table um, because we sure as hell deserve it. Um, because the, the thing is about like the hospitality um, industry, it has been supported and sustained by the labor of black and brown bodies. Like mm-hmm. no doubt, like yeah. full stop. Uh, that's like the utter truth. Like you can Google it. You can do the research. Like, mm-hmm the stats like are there to, to support that. And so I, I think emphasizing the fact that I am like a woman of color and Latina and queer and a first generation American is super important because Mm. having support and mentorship allows like the industry to be a little bit more like equitable yeah. And intersectional in our just like collective growth, essentially. Um, because it's it's just difficult as as a person of color to to walk into a room and to see that there's only white bodies like mm-hmm. in there and there's there's not someone that that looks like you. And to me, that tells me that there's a bias, implicit or otherwise. Yeah. And I think a lot of us, like Black, Indigenous, people of color, can attest to that. Um, well, I know that's that's part of the the dialogue that's been yeah. going on, you know, and I, and that's part of like what I, you know, uh, I think it was was it artisan Brian Ford, you know, the other day who yeah. posted something about, you know, go go and Google shaping videos, bread shaping videos, yeah. or Google yeah. um, uh, bread, how to make bread, you know, all of the the videos you're going to see are of white hands, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. very little, or look at the cookbooks that you own, the big, the bread baking books, how many yeah. of them are, are written by people of color. And mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm. that kind of opened my eyes you yeah. know, to my own kind mm-hmm. of like, uh, <laughs> all of the books that I own are, are, are written by white people. So yeah. Yeah. step back and think, you know, no, I mean, same here. And it's, it's not like, you know, we, and by we, I mean like black indigenous people of color. It's not like we don't exist. Like there, there are blind spots and biases that do favor white folks. And, you Mm -hmm. know, it's difficult to articulate because, you know, this is such an uncomfortable, you know, discussion Mm -hmm. for, for us to have. But Mm -hmm. the thing is, is like this, these are the lives that us people of color have been living our entire lives. Like I, I, you know, there's every time I walk into a room, I like I I I notice like we we notice when we're the only like brown or you know brown yeah. person in the room, the only black person in the room. It's it's just kind of how life has been, and I think what's really great about right now is like we are having those really uncomfortable like discussions, mm-hmm. um, and like I'm sure many of us you know aren't intentionally trying to be 
racist. But Mm -hmm. the thing with that is like you have to intentionally be anti-racist. And I think this is a new concept that a lot of people aren't familiar with. Um, They think like, well, I would, you know, I would never say like these slurs or I would, you Mm -hmm. know, I would, you know, never think of these things and, and, and whatnot. Um, but the fact is, is like the system that we currently live in was designed for you to benefit from it. Like it, that it's designed for white and non-black folks to, to uh, thrive. Yeah, and it, systemic, it, it doesn't systemic racism. Yeah. And it, it doesn't allow like black folks to, to to thrive it only like survive like in a sense um and yeah there's there's so much work that needs to be done and like the the great thing about social media is that in like especially in the like last recent week is there is just a plethora of resources out there by Mm. you know black creators and Mm. activists who are doing the emotional labor of teaching us non-black folks of how we can use our privilege and whatever factor that may be um, and analyze how that plays into a role in of our, of our lives Mm -hmm. and how we can make that less burdensome for, for others essentially. I I had a really good question from my buddy, Jeff, another uh, guest of mine this season, uh, bread service. Yeah. Um, Jeff McCarthy, and he, he, you know, he asked, you know, where do you see the cottage bakery um, to be the most effective in the fight for racial inequality? Mm-hmm. Because yeah, you know, it's it's a it's a space, it's a it's a tool uh, that you have that that you mm-hmm. are. It's this is you know your creation. This is your bakery. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, do you see the cottage bakery or the, or the community supported baker as as mm-hmm as a place of empowerment to, to kind of rebalance the scales there of racial yeah. inequality? Um, I think that as business owners and whatever scale that may be, whether we're serving a community of 20 people, a hundred people, 500 or a thousand or a couple million, um, depending on where you live. Um, it's like, it's our responsibility to take action. Um, I, I think like, going forth after the hashtags disappear and you know mm. things stop mm-hmm. trending people will then start to like reimagine how they want to navigate this world yeah. um, essentially like how are we going to move forward um and this work is hard and challenging and it's not going to be done overnight at all it's it's going to take time um and so like we're in it in the long haul and if you're not ask yourself why um mm. if you are you know participating in various trends that are happening like the black square that had happened on instagram mm-hmm. what was your intention behind that mm-hmm. like were you doing it because you saw others were doing it or did you feel like there was some pressure and whatnot? And, and if you like, if you say yes to those things, like there is work that still needs to be done. And so, um, something that I heard by a um, creator on Instagram by the name of Brandon Good was this idea of good allies versus effective allies. And so, you can have good intentions, um, like you 
by posting that black square or with the hashtag, you know, Black Lives Matter. But good intentions don't dismantle a system at all. Mm. Your action is what provides can can provide significant impact. Mm-hmm. Intention versus impact is something that we need to look at in our daily lives in a, in a general sense, in a general sense, how we navigate mm-hmm. this world. And so effective allies, they take action. They don't wait for someone to tell you like what to do. And so I think on, in a general level, you know, cottage or full on brick and water or wholesale bakery is that like, thing you need to ask yourself is what responsibility will I take on in my community Mm -hmm. as someone who might have a platform in whatever sense. Again, it could be 25 people in your community or a thousand. Like Mm -hmm. what will I stand by? Um, And so it can be as simple as sending in your newsletter that you send to your customers. Hey, I know a lot's going on. But I think this is something that we like mm. need to talk about. Mm-hmm. I want you to understand like this is how I feel about it. And I think a lot of business owners are afraid of backlash and mm-hmm. afraid that like they might be saying the wrong things or um, they'll upset customers and whatnot. And like you see that we've all yeah. seen that on social media where people, you know, are being very divisive um on these things and so i think you just kind of have to stand stand your ground and like you are responsible for (laughs) the the type of world that you want to like live and and grow in so like what will be your collective vision going forward and so for me the thing that i had to think about like you know i i am a person of color but I'm a non-black person of color. And so there's still my proximity to whiteness is still there. I still have, you know, privilege. My, my fiance is white. Hmm. A lot of my friends are white. And so I had to like ask those questions of like, Mm -hmm. why, why is that? Like, why, you know, why aren't I working with more black growers and purveyors? And then kind of question of like, the other question that comes up with that is, okay, like they do exist, but like, why aren't there as many of them? And so that kind of just kind of rolls into us questioning the whole system entirely. Um, And what I think we can do going forward is, again, kind of reimagine like the world like we want. Mm. Um, And again, that's not going to happen overnight at all. And there's there's small steps that we can take. And so it can be as simple as using your voice and, you know, telling your community how you feel and educating them mm-hmm, and providing mm-hmm. resources, having those really uncomfy situations. But yeah. I, I, I saw this quote, like, it's truly a privilege to learn about racism and not experience it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, thank you for kind of leading that conversation and given us some tangible mm-hmm. examples of, of things we could do as a cottage at the, at a cottage bakery level. Mm-hmm. Um, it brings to mind kind of conversation I had with uh, Lena Lightman. She's um, mm-hmm. one of the co-founders of California Green Campaign out here. Oh, cool. um, 
and kind of her work. We, we just talked, it wasn't on the podcast. Maybe I'll have her on next season, but um, just kind of like, you know, tangible ways that she's, uh, their campaign is working in LA in kind of mm-hmm. like food deserts, you know, yeah. kind of bringing, bringing um, healthy, nutritious, sustainable food to mm-hmm. you know, urban centers, um, yeah. family rural places that don't have mm-hmm. access to good food. There's just, yeah, there's a lot of ways, I think, even at, like you said, even at any scalable size of a, a bakery, that there's ways that we can um, think about and act on those systems that are, are in place, that have been in place, that, you know. For could, hundreds of years. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's, I think one of those systems is, is the farming system that has shrunken extremely in the last mm-hmm. 100 years, but mm-hmm. is almost become exclusively a, a, a white, yeah. you know, male um, mm-hmm. field. And um, so these are all questions, yeah, all good questions and conversations to have mm-hmm. and things that we can consider, you know, as our cottage baker, mm-hmm. you know, bakery movement kind of yeah. grows. And, and, and hopefully, you know, I think this it's it, we're in an interesting time with with COVID mm-hmm. and this kind of uh, upsurge in interest in home baking and cottage mm-hmm. baking, and yeah. I, I'm really I'm hopeful that we can take this conversation and this movement and like bring it into our community. So mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I appreciate I appreciate you you um, diving into this conversation with me and yeah, of course, and what you. What your experience has been in Atlanta right. and, mm-hmm. and, and at Osono. And um, we are approaching an hour and a half <laughs> of, our, <laughs> of our conversation, um, which I try to keep it to an hour. Um, but mm-hmm. it's, I, I've really enjoyed speaking with you tonight. Oh, and I want to give people an opportunity to hear kind of maybe about what you're doing um, yeah. now, anything you're, any projects you're working on. Um, how, how can people find you and, and your bread in Atlanta? Yeah. Um, so because of the pandemic, things have shifted um, a lot, but there've also been some new opportunities that have un- unfolded for me. So um, I now have kind of like my first major farmer's market, like on my production schedule, okay. um, which is the Grant Park Farmer's Market, which is um, hosted by Community Farmer's Market. They have an array of local markets around the city of Atlanta Um and so I'm there every second and fourth Sunday of the month. Uh, <laughs> I had accidentally showed up this past Sunday. I didn't realize <laughs> oh, no. there was there was a fifth Sunday in May, and uh, I was like, "Well, I uh, hope I sell this bread," which I did, which is which is oh, great. Good. Oh, good. Uh, but second and fourth Sunday, um, and so I'm there, and um, every other Sunday, kind of in correspondence with that, I'm doing. Um, curbside pickup alongside Freewell Farms. Um, We we hope that we can kind of open up our farm stand again, Um, but it's kind of hard to predict. And, you know, we're trying to listen to the CDC, which is actually here in in Atlanta. Uh, So, you know, and in a dream world, I'm doing the Freewell Farm Stand uh, every Wednesday and then the Luma Farm Stand every Thursday. But as of right now, it's the Grant Park Market um, and then doing curbside pickup alongside um, Freewell Farms at this moment. Um, yeah. yeah, so that's, that's how you can get my bread. Um, okay. Where can they find you online? How can they get a hold of yeah, you? Yeah, so online. Virtually. Uh, virtually. Um, I'm 
I'm always on the gram, on the Instagram. Mm-hmm. Um, Osono bread, O S O N O bread. Um, and website, same thing, osonobread.com. Um, slash shop is where you always place pre orders. Um, I've kind of explicitly moved over to that platform. Um, it's just way more easier to manage uh, than writing down little names in a little notebook yeah. like uh-huh. I did when I first started. Which is what um, I'm doing. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> um, and let's see. Uh, other things that I'm working on at this moment, um, trying to convert my workshops into some sort of virtual iteration. So um, last year I had the opportunity to start teaching workshops um, by the encouragement of Beth Ward, who owns the Learning Kitchen, um, which is located inside of the municipal market here in Atlanta. Um, It's kind of like a food hall in a a sense. It's actually one of the oldest here in Atlanta. Uh, It's historically black owned and operated. Super cool. So much history in that building. And so I was doing workshops there for a good while, doing intro courses and two-day classes. And it was a lot of fun. But obviously, with the pandemic, we aren't able to hold classes in, you know, in person. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I've been trying to look at ways for me to just be able to to do that again because workshops were actually 50% of the business. Okay. Um, And so I've miss it on like the financial aspect of course but Mm -hmm. also just having that opportunity to connect with people is so Mm -hmm. important Mm -hmm. with me um and i think in a general sense as as business owners we should go out of our way to actually connect with the people that we're you know intending on feeding yeah great um and so hopefully maybe this year i'll be able to have some sort of like video uh format yeah um Kind of similar to Bonnie O'Hara of Alchemy okay. Bread um, out in California. Mm-hmm. You know, you're familiar with Bonnie, of course. Interviewed her. Um, My neighbor. Yeah, your neighbor. And mm-hmm. so um, having something, you know, kind of similar to, to that in a way. But I also want to hold uh, like live Q&A mm. um, like video sessions cool. okay. um, as well. So people can have that opportunity to do kind of like one-on-one consulting almost of okay. like, what's going on with my starter or yeah, why is my yeah. bread like this and That's whatnot. A cool idea. Yeah. Because I think the thing is it's, it's hard to, to translate bread baking uh, in like a, in a written format because there isn't mm. like that perfect recipe. There isn't yeah. that perfect so method. True. And I, and I feel that a lot of new bakers, I just kind of find themselves in like the state of anxiety and panic. And they're like, why isn't my bread like this perfect loaf that I see online. (laughs) And so I want to provide like the opportunity for people to kind of sit down like one-on-one with me and we can like kind of figure it out together because I think it's great to just kind of continue sharing like knowledge and like that opportunity for other people to like grow into the bakers that they want to be. Because if, the people in, in my life hadn't given me those opportunities, I wouldn't be where I am right now. Mm-hmm. Well, that sounds exciting and uh, something I'd love to to help pr- promote and share. So let me know when you. when you have those out and ready. And I'd love to put them on my uh, website and, and let everybody know um, on the Sourdough Thank Podcast uh, Instagram handle. So, well, Betsy, um, 
I want to respect your time and let you get back to your evening, but I just want to thank you so much for being on the podcast, for taking the time to speak with me and being such a great voice and such an inspiration to our sourdough community. Oh, thank you for having me. Thank you so much, Lizzie. Bye. Bye. To close us out, I wanted to re-air this song by Weston Perry, which I first played at the end of my episode with Brian Ford, March 9th, 2019. It's called Wake Up. See you next season. Thank you.